Welcome to the Midnight Society. I'm Erin. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to talk about ghost stories. True ghost stories. Things that have happened to us, things that we want to investigate, and things that have happened to you. Email us your experiences at midnightsocietyae at gmail.com or leave us your first-hand story as a voicemail at 978-938-4BOO. Testing. 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 Your mother sucks cock in hell. Ooh. (laughs) Coming hot off the Mother's Day special. (laughs) Coming in spicy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if that wasn't a clue to you listeners, and I'm sorry because you've probably never seen one of the best movies ever created. Your mother sucks cock in hell? The Exorcist. Ah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Things got a little tense in the pod closet just now. (laughs) Um, so yeah, well, first of all, hello. Hi. I'm Erin. And I'm Amanda. And we are the Midnight Society. The Midnight Society. Society. <laughs> and tonight, or today, or whatever time it is, wherever you are, we're going to talk to you about possessions. possessions. We've got some excellent stories to share with you, mm-hmm. and we've done a little bit of research. Still not experts. <laughs> Still bumbling through it. That's right. But we're here to impart some some knowledge. Yeah. Little anecdote. One of the very first times Aaron and I got together to record for this podcast, long, long time ago, cutting room floor, etc. Um, but Aaron had done this research into the actual background behind the movie The Exorcist. And it was fascinating. Yeah. It reminded me again of why possessions and exorcisms are so... Um, interesting to so many people. I feel like it just, I mean, it has this spooky factor with the spirits and the demons, but it also has this factor of faith and what you can do to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's just like endlessly interesting. Yeah. Possession movies are a favorite category for me, for Mm -hmm. sure. But it also, like, the demonic stuff, I think, is something that absolutely, that... That terrifies me. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the things that don't scare me, but like, I do not want to mess with that shit. <laughs> no, that's how we've adopted all of the helpful habits to that's ward it right. off. That's yes. right. And we'll, we've talked about it before, but we'll definitely circle back on those mm-hmm. towards the end. So I, I think you've had like, let's kick it off with like your own like first encounter with mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, totally. So I think it's probably pretty important to know, and maybe this is, I'm not alone in this. Um, I never really took stuff like this that seriously. So um, I would say maybe in like 2012, I had a weird experience. Um, I basically overheard an exorcism occurring in the house that I was living in. And you're sure it wasn't just like some really wild sex downstairs or something? Um, I, I'm pretty sure because there were like a lot of grandmas <laughs> there oh oh <laughs> quite the fetish yeah uh i yep so <laughs> um so i was living at the time in what i'm fairly certain was the most rundown house in beverly massachusetts um for those that are local it was behind the lucky dog um oh. so i lived there and i lived on the second floor and the floor below me housed a young girl um we actually never spoke i never really ran into her in any of the common areas of the stairway um but she was very quiet she kept to herself um so best neighbor ever obviously yeah so one day um it must have been a weekend because i was home in the afternoon and i hear the door downstairs opening and closing a bunch And because I'm nosy, 
as shit. <laughs> um, I, you know, just got up and I looked down out sta- outside downstairs and there were just like a bunch of people like parking and coming inside. And they were all carrying like casseroles and food. And it looked like somebody was having a family reunion. Uh-huh. Um, it was a bunch of like older people, a lot of women. And I remember thinking I wasn't sure how she would fit all of those people into the apartment. Yeah. Any idea how big it was? Um, I would say the apartment maybe... I'm bad at this. Maybe like 400 square feet. Okay, so tiny. Yeah, it was like a living room with a galley kitchen uh-huh. and a, an okay-sized bedroom with a small bathroom. Got it. So, And I know this because her apartment was the same footprint as mine. Got it. So people are getting out of their cars. They're going inside. It's a lot of noise. Whatever. It's no big deal. Um, I think I was reading or, you know, I was doing something that, you know, transpired over the next couple of hours, making dinner, reading, whatever. Um, and out of nowhere, I started hearing like this banging. And then I start hearing this like low level chanting on top of the banging. Oh. And then a couple minutes later, and you can bet your ass at this point, I had like a glass to the floor because that's just how I am. (laughs) Um, out of nowhere, I somebody starts... Wait, does that work? Did you actually have a glass? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, but it could also be that there was no insulation in my house whatsoever. Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, I should note, too, that the chanting was in Spanish, um, mm-hmm. so I couldn't understand anything what they were saying. So, but then, and this is, I've heard it start in the living room in the front of the house. Okay. And then it moved into the bedroom towards mm. the back of the apartment. Okay, that's fine. So they're chanting. There's a little <laughs> bit of banging. Fine. Yeah, it's fine. I'm home by myself. What am oh, I going to do? Terrifying. Um, and then I hear one voice start yelling, no, over and over. And at that point, I um, was considering calling the cops. Mm. And I'd had a bad experience calling the cops on different neighbors before. So I was really weighing the pros and cons. Um, Wait, and it I went feel on... like that's some stories that we'll get to at some other point around <laughs> other how many ones... times you've called the cops oh on God. neighbors. Too many. Oh, God. Too many, honestly. And that's what happens when you live in the cheapest apartment in town. Uh. That's really just what happens. Um, the other story wasn't a possession. It was pill poppers. Oh, nice. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, so, okay, there's banging, chanting in Spanish. I know for a fact that there are like at least 30 people in this place. And then somebody starts yelling no over and over and over. And it's one voice yelling no. And um, it went on, I would say, at least like four or five minutes. And I was still like torn up inside. Do I call the cops? Do I not? Not sure what's going on. Like if it had been a bunch of dudes walking into that house and then a woman started screaming no, of course I would call the cops. It was a bunch of grandmas and like older women and stuff. So I really wasn't sure. With casseroles. Exactly. I knew they were well fed. Like let's start there. (laughs) And then it all just stopped. Like, all at once, it just ended. Hmm. And then within, like, five minutes, everybody was piling out of the apartment, getting in their cars, and driving away. Wow. So, I didn't, at first, think I had witnessed an exorcism. Yeah. But I think I told a friend about it, and they were like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but at the time, it just, I was, I approached it as, like, haha, that happened, you can't really take it too seriously when you have to see the person every day. Right, yeah. You know? Did you keep seeing the individual? Um, I think she moved out not long after that. Okay. Yeah, because um, somebody else moved in. Uh, so, yeah, that that was my only sort of encounter with what was potentially a possession or an exorcism. Well, that's spooky as hell. 
I think that was probably an exorcism for sure. <laughs> Based on your expert opinion. As the expert. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I took it really not that seriously at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but now that we've been sort of getting into those topics a little bit more, mm -hmm. we've been interviewing lots of people who come from different areas of yeah. expertise. I'm starting to think more and more that it was something along those lines. Um, and I actually think it's really helpful to think about possessions broken down by the different types. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a categorization to this, as it seems like there is for lots of these things. Right. Types of hauntings. Types of possessions, of course. <laughs> um, so I know that a couple of the types you can kind of group together as like attachments or external possession. Uh -huh. um, and just to kind of let the listener in on what that really means is it's something that's like clung on to you and it's following you around. I think the best way to really break it down and think about it is people that are that tend to be a little bit more empathic mm -hmm. like they can walk into a room and they're maybe sensing a feeling or something is off and then that off feeling just clings to them and f follows them around yeah it's like for, psychic pollution exactly debris if you will um so yeah so as someone that i think i've mentioned in the past maybe made one too many times and here we go we're mentioning it again <laughs> um as someone that tends to feel those feelings when they walk into a room mm -hmm. You know, I've definitely had a hard time shaking some of that. And I think I talked about in one of our earlier episodes the weird experiences I was having when we first oh, yeah. started the podcast. And the only way, like, all this weird and negative stuff was happening around me. Um, and the only way I ended up being able to shake it mm -hmm. was I did a cleaning of my house and made a playlist of really uplifting music and just, like, danced it out. That's brilliant. I was like, I'm shaking this off. Get the fuck out of here whatever mm -hmm. that is it's like takes a lot of work to get rid of that i talked with someone recently who was doing making a documentary on um on the afterlife but he ended up interviewing a lot of people for the documentary that had different involvement with paranormal mm -hmm. things and he said that towards the end of the the making of the documentary he started experiencing things in his home and he had kids at the time young kids yeah. and he hadn't been scared one moment during the entire process but he same thing. It's sort of like he almost brought it home exactly. from work with him. Right. Yeah. And so for him, I guess the solution was just to completely eradicate any sort of semblance of the documentary from his home. So he would come home. He wouldn't talk about it. He didn't have any of like his work stuff at home with him. He kept yeah. it all like in his workspace. That makes sense. I mean, I refused to tell Eliyahu what was going on. He was like, why are like, why are we doing this staging of the house? <laughs> I was like, don't worry about it. I'll like, tell you later. do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and like. You know, I never mentioned it to him until I felt like everything was gone. I was like, so the reason we did that was because of this. But I yeah. wanted to make sure that that energy was out. Yeah. You but don't I think those give are it life. Exactly. But th I think those are two really good examples to illustrate what an external or an attachment type possession mm -hmm. is. Yep. And then the other type is, of course, internal, which sounds really, um, clinical but it's not it's actually the type <laughs> just of like went to the i'm like in my mind i'm imagining the gynecologist no <laughs> my gynecologist, gyne <laughs> gynecologist possession so internal possession are the ones that you think of when you think of the horror movies right so mm -hmm. this is you know your your average demonic possession it just grabs onto your soul. run of the mill yeah so internal possessions are ones where 
um, for whatever reason, some entity, be it human, demonic, or otherwise, um, has grabbed onto you. Uh, generally, they attach to your soul, or um, some people think they attach to your heart chakra, um, because your heart chakra is sort of what uh, gives you life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are just attracted to that energy. Um, and so that's basically what an internal possession is, but I think it's helpful to understand what types of entities might go for that heart chakra or your soul Sure. by talking about why spirits possess. 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 So why might they possess us, <laughs> Amanda? Gynecologist. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, So, okay. So, found a couple of reasons why spirits might want to attach themselves to that energy, that heart chakra. Um, And the first would be simply that they're looking for energy to continue existing. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, this might be in the case of someone who might have some unfinished business um, or someone just who isn't really ready to cross over. They can't exist in this plane, if you will, without some sort of energy source. Mm. So they basically just piggyback. They grab on, and you're essentially their vessel to continue living or to continue um, experiencing the external world. Got it. Yep. The other one, the more exciting one, is that they might attach to your soul because they never lived in the first place. Bum, bum, bum. And this is going to be your demons, obviously. Your demons. Yep. Um, so, We've all got them. <laughs> but these ones are in you. Mm. So they might take over a body or a soul in order to execute some sort of dark or negative act. Okay. Um, so now we're getting really towards the tropes you see in movies. But um, it certainly happens, and we have some stories that will... Uh, give you an example of real-life instances where somebody suspected that there may have been some sort of internal possession happening. Yeah. So should we should we cut to an interview right, yeah. right now? Let's jump right in. All right. So we talked to um, a guy who would prefer to remain anonymous, um, but he had a very spooky experience in Central America. Um, so let's just turn it over to him. Nice. So when I was about 16 years old, um, I got on, I signed on with a mission trip that was going down to uh, Nicaragua. Uh, the church that was doing it was actually more of an evangelical group uh, out of Texas that um, just got people from all over the country and saying, okay, hey, we're going to go down here. We're going to do some, uh, we're going to do some uh, community service down here. We're going to do some um, uh, functions and kind of, you know, just the, the normal Christian mission kind of stuff, the one-week deal. Um, so we flew down there, and it was it was definitely an experience seeing the different, um, I guess, kind of culture. So that was the first time – I'm sorry, not the first time. It was the second time that I've been out of country, but the first time that I've been down to, say, Central America or something similar to a third-world country because it was shacks and mud huts and just um, – dilapidated buildings and people just looking malnourished and cattle and everything roaming the streets. So it was definitely an experience whenever we were going from the capital to the place where we were at on the coast. Um, when we got to the area that we we're going to be at, uh, we all stayed in this one big house and there's about 30 of us. And they gathered us in the, um, they gathered us in the uh, main, main room and said, uh, Hey, so we're going to go over some safety things with y'all. First off, 
there's a lot of gang, gang activity down here, uh, Nicaraguan death squads, uh, MS-13, and things of that nature. I'm like, oh, no, that's that's not good. We don't want to get involved in that. And they said, okay, another kind of strange thing that we're going to get into is we're going to see black magic. We're going to see people who practice black magic who do not like Christians and or anybody that they think is trying to subvert their their culture or their religion and they will put curses on you. And so I never heard anything about that. So it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> so I was already apprehensive from the first day um, there. So, but the rest of the week kind of, it, it felt, it was fun. We had a great time, met some great people and, uh, and um, had some great experiences uh, with the people in the communities that we were serving. And, um, but the whole time it kind of just felt like, hey, there's, there's, there's something wrong here. There's, there's, there's always that feeling of, hey, something's going to happen, something's going to happen. But I don't know if it was just kind of the apprehension of being in such a different environment for so long or what it was. But so, uh, one day we get in a, get in the truck. I'm sorry, not the truck, the van, and we start driving. Uh, they don't tell us where we're going. It's about about 15 of us. About half the group is going to do this. They say we're going to go uh, feed some feed some people um, because they're homeless. So I said, okay, so we're going to like a homeless shelter or maybe like a ghetto or something like that. And so we get out to um, this road, and, and like the buildings start looking more and more dilapidated, more and more just just mud huts and everything, and it turns into just trash heaps on the side of the road. And we keep going and keep going. This dirt road and it's raining, and we get down to the end of the road and it's just mountains of trash and it's pouring rain, and nobody's around. So I'm like, oh no, our driver has just brought us over here. He's gonna sell us all into slavery. I don't know what's gonna go on, but as soon as we got out there and the the food truck pulled up behind us, people started crawling out of little shelters they built out of the trash and the trash mounds, and and um, they they all. Uh, kind of converged on our area, just soaking wet, so rain and everything, and and uh, we all stood up to get out, and the the leaders like, no, it's just too wet, we can't, we're not going to let y'all get out here and do this. And we all understandably got mad, that we need to get out here and help these folks, but they just wouldn't let us do it. So we left, and um, I got got a good look at some of the faces of the people that were watching us leave, and it just kind of broke my heart. But the next day. Um, it was kind of a culminating event. Uh, it was a large meeting uh, at a, a baseball field, kind of similar to what would be an American college baseball field, uh, the stadium size was. And uh, we had been handing out invitations for this for this uh, event that whole week that we were there. And unexpectedly, we had about three to 400 people show up and just fill the stands. And we did a whole service and everything. Um, the, the sound system got shorted out by the rain since it was still kind of sprinkling and it was wet everywhere. And at the end, the um, the uh, preacher gave an invitation for everybody to come on the field and talk to us if they want to. And everybody, <laughs> and I mean everybody in the stands came to the field they wanted to talk to us. Um, so everybody was crowding around. I was talking to a few people. And um, I kind of lost track of time. And then all of a sudden I hear yelling kind of off in the distance. And I didn't really think much of it. And my one of the guys from the group came and grabbed me by the shoulders and said, hey, we need you to come over here and help us. I said, okay. 
and he takes off running through the crowd and I look and the crowd is just like all dispersing from one area and they're kind of walking away, running away and people kind of mumbling. And I was like, Oh no, something's happened. So I run over there and I see all of our group that was there. They're just, all the men were piled on top of this person. It looks like, and I thought that maybe he had attacked somebody. Um, so I run over there and I said, what do y'all need me to do? So they said, hold his feet and cross them and hold his feet down. Make sure he doesn't, he can't get up. I was like, okay. So I grabbed his feet, crossed them, and hold him down. Now I looked up and I saw that they had his arms out to his side. They had him <clears throat> straight out to his side, not his feet crossed. I was like, okay, we're holding this guy in the shape of a crucifix. I don't know. Don't know what this is about. And then I just, and I realized that the rest of the group that was behind us was praying and saying, uh, in the name of Jesus, we demand you exit this person. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I kind of know what this is now. And I, I wanted to wanted to leave, but I was just too afraid. I, I was just holding on and just watching. Well, I looked down at the face of this guy who was just throwing his head back and forth. And he looks up, and I see that his eyes roll in the back of his head. And his jaws, like, unhinged. And he's just screaming. Just and he's he's not a very he was not a very uh, large guy he was very slender and didn't really look like he was very strong but he was making it very hard for us to hold him down. Um, he started he started kind of calming down a little bit. Uh, eyes were still rolling in the back of his head and he was still kind of shaking his head back and forth and and then a lady in our group who later told me that she was a uh, demonologist, like she had written books about uh, about uh, demons in the Bible and demons in modern day. And she went up and to the man and said, hey, demon, I demand that you tell me your name. And the only way, and it's kind of, kind of cliche to say it, it was like two voices speaking at one time at different tones um, he said, I am rage, or we are rage, I'm sorry. And at that point, she looks up and she says, let him go. We we can't, no, we need to let him go. So we stood up, let him go, and it, it, it was the weirdest thing. If you've ever seen, like, a spider that's been poisoned or stepped on a spider and saw its legs kind of shrivel up, that's what this guy did. His arms and legs just kind of came really quick to his body and just started contorting. He kind of got into a ball and was writhing around on the ground, screaming. <laughs> and um, we all kind of backed up, and everybody was still praying for him, praying at him is what I, I, I can describe it as. But um, then he stopped writhing, and he laid face down on the ground. Um, one girl who was a little bit older than me at the time, <clears throat> she was standing about – 15 feet in front of him, in front of his head, away from everybody. She had her hand out, and she was praying and just absolutely bawling, crying. Um, and without lifting his head, he used his arms to pull himself across the ground, across the field, towards her. Not very fast, but he was pulling his body towards her, and she was backing up and crying and everything. Well, me being a 16-year-old man guy, and I was like, okay, I got to defend her. So I started running up. I was gonna, gonna jump on him or do whatever I had to do to keep him from getting there. Well, they they held me back and they said it's gonna be okay. And she stopped praying, and he stopped dead on the floor right there on the ground. 
and didn't move. So apparently at some point somebody had called the ambulance and they came right on the field and they grabbed him, loaded him up and took him wherever. Um, when I was looking around afterwards, I found that everybody, every local had left. Like there was nobody but us around. Um, and on the way back, uh, we were on the bus and I was, uh, we were all obviously shook. And, uh, the lady who said that she was a demonologist, she came and sat by me since I was the youngest guy in the group. She tried to explain to me what we just saw. She said that wasn't just one demon that was a legion of demons and it would be extremely unsafe for us to do anything about it. It's going to take something a lot, someone a lot more experienced to help him. So that was, uh, that was my uh, first ever paranormal experience and it was, it was, Definitely one that's kind of stuck in my head ever since. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. I think that's the creepiest story we've ever gotten. Yeah, the the thing that I that creeps me out the most about that is the imagery of like he's dragging himself across the ground and his head is still like on the ground. <laughs> I used to do this awful thing. I'm so sorry. Maybe we can edit this out. <laughs> when I was little. I used to scare my mom by dragging myself into the room wherever she was with my arms and just letting my legs drag behind me because oh I was awful. <laughs> and that, that's all I could think of during the story. Oh, you must have terrified her. I know. My mom was uh, – I was a handful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listeners. Want to stay up to date on what we're up to and get some sneak peeks of the people we're interviewing, the places we're investigating, and the spooky stuff that's scaring us right now? Follow us on Instagram, where we'll post updates all the time. You can find us there at Midnight Society Pod. And if you've had a paranormal experience and you'd like to share it, you can get in touch with us at midnightsocietyae at gmail.com. Or give us a call at 978-938-4BOO. That's 978-938-4266. So we wanted to do a little bit more research into exorcisms and possessions. So we actually got in touch with a pastor. Mm -hmm. His name is Pastor Dave. Um, and what's different about Pastor Dave is he's a Lutheran pastor. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think we get a lot of information about possessions and exorcisms via the Catholic lens. Mm -hmm. Movies like The Exorcist, things right. like that. But, you know. Holy water, cross, the power of violence, Christ levitation. You, vomit. A lot of vomit. All that stuff. So much vomit. <laughs> um, but so I thought we would provide our listeners with a little bit of information around what makes it different, uh, mm -hmm. uh, exorcism in Lutheran faith. Um, but just to give folks a quick overview of who Pastor Dave is, he actually did his thesis and what makes him the expert and why we called him up. He did his thesis on exorcisms in Germany in the 16th century. It's unreal. I didn't even know that there was pastor school, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, like theology. But there school. is pastor school and oh, you yeah. can study whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. And he was <laughs> very intrigued by this kind of like fringe stuff. He said he's always been mm -hmm. kind of attracted to that. And so when it came to picking what he wanted to do for his thesis, like that's kind of what came to mind for him. Sounds like our kind of guy. Honestly. Totally. Yeah. I was excited to talk with him. Um, so basically to give a brief overview of Lutheranism, essentially it was started by Martin Luther, who was a German pastor in the 1500s and he had criticism of the catholic church and the way their hierarchy was in place mm -hmm. um so he was actually kicked out and then kind of started the protestant reformation in 1517 um, and luther saw what really bothered him about 
what he was seeing was he mm-hmm. was seeing people pay um, for their sins, like with actual money. Um, <laughs> Sounds kind of familiar, actually. Right? Um, or, you know, trying to buy the release of their loved ones from purgatory mm-hmm. or things like that. And he believed that um, God's grace is a free gift and we are not saved by payment. Nice. Um, to a priest. So, um, Pastor Dave, he was actually raised Lutheran. His parents were Lutheran, but they weren't pastors. Um, and as I mentioned, he always kind of had an interest in things on the edge. Attending Princeton Seminary, which is a Presbyterian school, when I discovered that um, some of my Presbyterian classmates really thought Lutherans were strange for still talking about the devil, uh, especially in our baptismal ritual, we uh, renounce the devil when someone is baptized. And to the Presbyterians who were coming from a more academic mindset, uh, that seems superstitious and backwards. And so to sort of be confronted with that, I kind of wanted to to go deeper into how Lutherans dealt with um, problems of evil and especially evil personified in the demonic or even in the devil. And um, that that's sort of where that started. And I was looking for a topic to study for my uh, Master of Sacred Theology at, at the Lutheran Seminary in Philadelphia. And that seemed like something I could uh, really enjoy studying. So why not? Why not renounce the devil? It seems like the uh, right? prudent thing to do. I kind of feel like the devil likes being renounced. So you're really <laughs> just like playing both sides at that point? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Catholics, one of the other differences that he reviewed with me is that the Catholics actually have to determine the name of the demon that has possessed the person. Yes. Um, and that determines how the exorcist is going to actually perform the ritual and what their response is going to be. But Lutherans don't actually have a formal list of criteria for possession. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing he said, and I was really glad that he said this, was they make sure that first and foremost, there's a mental health resource that's been exhausted. Like they've gone yep. and, and seen medical professionals and making sure that it's not physical health, mental health, etc. Because how many times have we heard stories that it was like, oh, this poor kid was just having a goddamn seizure. Right. Yeah. It's friggin' dangerous actually just to assume that it's a possession right off the bat exactly or and we've talked about you know um night uh night terrors Mm -hmm. and sleep paralysis and things like that where you see a shadow figure somewhere could always be a symptom of some larger stress totally so i'm glad that he mentioned that so the way he defined a possession after you've gotten your mental health check your physical Uh health check was that it seems as though that the person is being impacted by an external force Okay. That this external force is somehow influencing the mind. Gotcha. I'm sure that there is like some sort of spectrum of measurement or maybe like investigation that they use because that sounds really vague. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But that's why I was glad that he mentioned the like mental health and, Absolutely. and, yeah. and physical health. Yeah, like a checked. method to investigating. Here is what you, you sort of rule out. And then if yes. everything else has been ruled out, then this is your conclusion. Yes. And he also, Pastor Dave, wanted to stress that, possess- that exorcisms are an act of pastoral care. Um, when a Lutheran performs an exorcism. So Lutheran himself, he actually wanted to do battle against evil forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people who would come in contact with evil forces, um, he wanted to help them out, of course, but he wanted to tone down the, the kind of ritualisms that were going on with right. Catholics. He didn't want anybody to be making movies about what he did. Exactly. 
one of the interesting things I came across looking specifically at Luther's time, but also beyond, was the development of um, sort of a almost a pre-scientific inquiry method that priests were using uh, to determine if someone was really possessed or not. Because a lot of people, I guess, to get attention, um, just just to kind of mess around, would pretend to be possessed. And one historian I came across noted that um, it was never considered failure on the part of the priest if it turned out some if they were able to prove someone wasn't possessed. It was actually a good thing to uncover a fraud. So we have kind of an early scientific method that develops where um, where pastors are and priests are figuring out if someone's just fooling them and there's there's nothing supernatural going on. Um, so it's a good thing, first of all, if you figure out that it's not a supernatural occurrence. Um, it's a very good thing to figure that out. I have never performed an exorcism, and to my knowledge, I've never been in contact with somebody who was possessed. But uh, having spoken with um, some Lutheran pastors who have, one, one Lutheran pastor in particular who has um, uh, responded uh, with exorcisms, people in his congregation a couple of decades ago. Yeah, he just sort of got a sense of if there was an external power that was influencing the person he was providing care to. And that's what I would look for as well. Um, what I would does that want, look like? That's what I'm not sure of. <laughs> I think I would know <laughs> it when I saw it. The um at least I hope I would. I think you sort of exhaust alternatives is is one thing that you need to do. Um, some classmates of mine and I, when we were students at Philadelphia, we wrote what we thought would be a modern exorcism uh, liturgy for use in Lutheran churches today according to current Lutheran principles. And so one thing we wrote in there was before an exorcism is performed, you would want to make sure that somebody is getting help from a um, mental health professional to make sure that this is not mental illness because we have ways of treating mental illness uh, that don't involve exorcism. And you, you you would hate to deny someone that care because we think our ritual is going to solve something that's really a medical problem. Mm -hmm. The other things we mentioned included making sure that this person is engaging in the other spiritually healthy practices of a church. Are they in a Bible study? Are they volunteering at a food pantry? Are they making regular use of Holy Communion by coming to worship with their fellow Christians? All of these things can be healthy for a person's spirit as well. So you don't want to jump the gun and start with something as um, as stark and intense as an exorcism if somebody hasn't made use of other uh, other ways to respond to bad feelings they might be having. When my friends and I wrote um, a modern Lutheran exorcism, we tried to match what we would do today if this arose in any of our congregations uh, to what Luther did in his day and what his colleagues did in, in their day. And so while they saw some elaborate exorcism rituals going on in uh, Catholic churches, what Martin Luther and his colleagues decided to do was uh, really emphasize that the word of God is strong enough to repel any force, 
and that that doesn't require elaborate ceremonies. So they really stripped down the exorcism to the point that it was happening within a church with members of the congregation there. So already it's not just one exorcist or, you know, a couple of priests in the privacy of someone's home uh, performing this. They wanted the community involved because uh, we were all strengthened by each other as the community of faith. And so they would gather up near the altar, and they might sing a hymn, and they might recite the Apostles' Creed, and they would have prayer and laying on of hands, and everybody would participate in that. It's a much more gentle ritual that we read about, as opposed to what you might see in movies like The Exorcist and things like that. And the entire point that Luther and his colleagues were trying to make is that um, uh, the Word of God is strong enough on its own. The Word does not require us to uh, make it flashy or anything anything like that. So that's where um, they wanted to provide a different sort of ministry than what was being provided by Catholic exorcists at the time. All right. So I think this is actually really good advice in general, regardless of your faith, Catholic, Lutheran, whatever, which, whatever, right. wherever you land. Rely on your community. Yeah. And if you feel like something is off, explore all options that are out there, um, spiritually or emotionally, whatever's mm -hmm. enriching to you, explore that. Seek mental health, mental health help. Absolutely. Um, mental health is important. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to wow. take the Lord's name. In Aggressive. <laughs> wow. Um, and of course, physical, physically, your health is also important. Mm -hmm. So just ex exhaust everything before you go down this path of needing an exorcism or, or exploring exorcisms. Right. And if you're not religious or not Catholic, but you think you need an exorcism, uh, Pastor Dave is of the belief that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Call the pastors in your town, a shaman, or like I said, whatever feels right. I feel like that's always what I'm saying. Do what feels right. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll find someone who's willing to meet with you. Have you ever met anybody who thought they might need an exorcism? Just out of I curiosity. Have, I have not. But I have seen like gag gifts for sale that are like, here's an exorcism kit. If you think you need an exorcism and you have a friend who's willing to perform it. But I actually talked to the pastor about this, and his advice was like, uh, no, 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 Yeah, no. that's something you're going to find in Spencer's gifts. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> like, do not touch this with a 10-foot pole, because, you know, these are forces that we don't know anything about. Right. You, you don't know. even know if that water is holy. Exactly. It was literally well, exactly. shipped to you by UPS. Exactly. Um, so... You know, if you believe that a possession is possible, then I'm sure you can believe that these powers are not something that we fully understand. Right. And they're not something to be messed with. So Go call, to an expert. call a professional. Yeah, totally. You know, like we said earlier, rely on your community, find somebody, someone should be willing to talk to you. I do love the pastoral care element. Yeah. Um, he treats it a little bit more, like it feels a little bit more like he'll, he wants to conduct some therapy mm -hmm. before he sort of takes any extreme steps. And I feel like that can only help somebody who thinks they might be experiencing something out of their control. Absolutely. It puts it back in their control. Absolutely. Um, and I did ask him too, if he had any input or, or information on the increase in requests for exorcisms in the Catholic church. Cause I have, I don't oh, know. Interesting. If you, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I've heard that through the grapevine that there's been more and more requests for these things. I was thinking the other day that there are probably more movies about exorcism 
exorcisms than there are actual need for exorcisms each year. And that maybe that's why. It's yeah. because it's so sensational. Well, and I think like the social media world and like it's it's maybe a little bit easier for people to post their crazy video of something weird happening Mm -hmm. and someone to suggest hey you should go get an exorcism or the stigma attached to needing help for your mental health right exactly people would rather believe it's an exorcism because it's not something wrong with them right totally not that having mental health issues means anything is wrong with you. No, no, but, but people there is have a stigma. that belief. Yeah. yeah, people people are afraid to get help. Absolutely. Please don't be afraid to get help. Yeah, we'll help you. <laughs> no, I will Pastor won't. Dave will help you. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a licensed professional. I will not help oh, you. Oh, no, we'll just give you Pastor Dave's number. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> um, and so I asked him if, if there was any increase in the Protestant church of... Mm-hmm of these exorcisms but he says because it's not as formalized it's actually hard to say how many requests are coming through gotcha yeah i can imagine it's probably pretty decentralized yeah exactly the like request process so and then i actually told him oh did you show him the cop story yeah oh my gosh i kind of gave him a recap i I wasn't able to play him the audio uh but i did give him a recap and and here's yeah here's what he said it does bring to mind um a distinction that might be helpful um, as you're looking at this topic. Um, there, There is a difference between a properly ordered exorcism or a liturgical exorcism that is planned um, and, you know, where the priest has time to prepare and bring certain things like crucifixes and holy water and things like that. Um, there's also a lot of uh, literature about uh, something called charismatic exorcisms, and those happen in the moment. There's no preparing, and those show up most often in uh, biographies of saints. Those are called hagiographies, and uh, it'll be, you know, stories of, you know, Saint so-and-so walking through a town, and a demonic person jumps out at them, and all the saint has to do is say, be gone with you, and, you know, the devil leaves that person. Um, so... You know, I referred to the one pastor I interviewed who had done exorcisms in people's homes, and those were planned exorcisms. I know of another pastor in the Philadelphia area who had somebody start screaming at him uh, during worship in his church on a Sunday morning. And he walked up to the person and uh, said, tell me your name. And the person said some name that didn't make any sense. And the pastor in that moment said, "Uh, be gone. You have no power over this person and apparently the person you know kind of fell into their pew and then then they all prayed together and the person was fine for the rest of the service um so that's a you know responding to this story you said in nigeria nicaragua that's that sounds like a situation where um you know if I was there having to provide some sort of intervention, we wouldn't be, you know, taking this person to a church because he probably wouldn't go with anyone who would try to take him there. Uh, you'd have to respond some way in the moment with uh, some declaration that uh, whatever force is in there needs to go away in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow, that is so interesting. So it sounds like charismatic exorcisms are really more of that, like, the power of Christ compels you variety. You can bet your ass I'm going to be trying that, like, on my dog and on, like, other people. (laughs) Yes. But, I mean, all jokes aside, 
Pastor Dave was like really here with that really good common sense life advice. Totally. I was super appreciative of, of everything that he had mm-hmm. to bring to the table and all the advice that he gave. And I feel like the more people we talk to who have some closeness to this topic, so either people like Pastor Dave who studied it um, and just sort of enjoy researching it or people who have actually like conducted something like an exorcism Mm -hmm. before um that's a little bit of a sneak peek into future episodes listeners um i feel like we're hearing a lot of the same things from all these different cultures and backgrounds and faiths is which is to say that like they all have the same recommendations for what can we do um to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should talk first about maybe what kinds of behaviors make somebody vulnerable to sure. possession or some sort of psychic attachment. Yeah. And then how to like protect themselves. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So in all of the conversations I've had, I think the number one thing that you need to do to avoid some sort of psychic attachment or possession would be to make sure that you're taking the right steps to protect yourself if you are attempting to contact the other side. Yes, I agree. Everybody's mother has always said, don't do the Ouija board. Yes. My mom once called me while I was doing Ouija board while I was drunk and I was like, mom, (laughs) guess what I'm doing? And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) But there's a reason. Yeah. 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 And and I know we've said this in like almost every single episode at this point too, like your white light meditation Mm -hmm. things or whatever feels right to you that helps you feel like you're putting that kind of protective bubble around yourself. Right. Before you try try to do those kinds of things. Yeah. And honestly, the white light meditation, it it serves to protect you. You're making sure that you're intentions are good you're coming in love but what you're doing is you're also telling whatever spirits you're attempting to contact like hey i'm doing this with the utmost respect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know you're not contacting them for a laugh right basically um so that would definitely be the first piece of advice i would want to give somebody but i think that there are a lot of ways to sort of alleviate the effects of what could be a possession um and maybe there are things that people do every day and they don't know that they're actually protecting themselves each Mm. day so maybe like prayer yeah. Or meditation, um, chanting, stuff like that. I do like none of those things, but that's <laughs> fine. You do have crystals, and I saw that on a many list. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm like, I don't know what crystal that is. It's clear. Right. Do you have a gong? Maybe a gong? Uh, no. <laughs> My husband's a drummer. Does that count? Totally. Okay, great. Absolutely. Great. I think the biggest thing for me, because again, I don't have a gong or I don't have the right crystals probably yeah. or whatever, but I think just pay attention. Yeah. You know, look out for yourself and be aware of how you feel, whether your health is flagging mm-hmm. and do the same for the people around you. I like that advice. Mm-hmm. Just be aware of what the fuck is happening. You're Absolutely. not feeling. You're not f- feeling right. You're off kilter. Uh, do something <laughs> about it. Right, and don't be afraid to look for a second or a third or a fourth opinion. You know, if you're not feeling right and your doctor says you're fine, maybe go ahead and get the advice from your rabbi or your priest or your pastor. Yeah, or you know, the counselor at school or someone that you're close with at work. Mm-hmm. Or call a psychic. Whatever. Yes. I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm like, my thing is like, I don't go to church. I don't really like, right. you know, that that's one of the main things that I wanted to get out of the pastor conversation is I was just like, I can imagine a lot of people have never been into their local church, mm-hmm. especially if they're like 
transplanted to that neighborhood or whatever. Yeah, and I think we're a little hyper aware in our, quote, line of work. Like, we are putting ourselves in situations where we could potentially encounter something that might want to grab on Mm -hmm. and piggyback through our lives. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it is important to make sure that we're protecting ourselves as much as we can. And I should say, too, that throughout this entire project, you have been the person coming to the table with the white light meditations Mm -hmm. and coming to the table with the added protections and the sage and stuff. So it's been a real learning curve for me, but I think that the conversations we've had for this episode and sneak peek the next couple of episodes have really helped me to take this stuff a lot more seriously. Awesome. Not to like make it an after school special moment or anything, but um, come on y'all. Yeah. Be responsible when you summon the demons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, stay sexy and don't get possessed. Don't get fucking possessed. Uh, goodbye. Bye. Theme song by the Tenafly Vipers. Song is called Come Ride the Bull. Special thanks to David Miller for the background music. And don't forget to rate, subscribe to the Midnight Society with Amanda and Aaron anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and see you on the next new moon.